Welcome to Vagabond Actors Podcast. This is episode eight, and as always, I'm Gary Condes, coming to you from London in the UK, and I'm joined, as always, by my fellow actors and acting teachers, Andrea Helen, who is based in Mallorca, Spain. Hello, Andrea. How are we today? Hi, Gary. I'm doing really well. Thank you. Good, good. And we have Brian Casp, who is, as always, based in Prague, the Czech Republic. Brian, how are we doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> it would be remiss of me if I didn't. Yeah, and how are you doing, Gary? Uh, I'm doing very well. Yeah, really good. Um, I'm getting the work and sort of lockdown ratio um, sorted. So uh, it's all good. And in today's episode, the first part will be a, a brief discussion on what we've been doing regarding our creativity. And then we'll move on to the main topic of discussion, which will be led by Brian, who is itching to discuss the issue of control in actors and how that affects them and their performance. And then finally, we'll round up by giving our top tips on what has wowed us during the week um, in relation to any performances, any shows, TV series, films. So what have you been up to and, and uh, creatively or in relation to your art and, and during this week? Brian? Yeah, I've been doing my morning pages and working through some stuff on that. It's interesting. I'm only uh, about a week into it now and it's good. What would you say the one, the main one thing is that you, you're taking from it right now? It's looking at the pages as a meditation, as a way to take thoughts that are negative or semi-conscious, make them very upfront and center and conscious, and then examine, well, why is that thought coming up? Or where is that coming from? And I think that's a very interesting process. And it's really been helpful for me to go, oh, there's the negativity or there's this doubt or there's this, or I'm getting down on myself here. Where's that coming from and how can I deal with it? And how can I mitigate those thoughts that come in? And, and it's, um, it's been good, I think. Great. But it's early days, so we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you sound like you're, what you're talking about there is a, as a real sort of a way of understanding awareness and having an awareness of oneself, which is a very useful tool for an actor. Yeah, it's trying to make those things conscious so that they don't they don't uh, sneak up and attack you from yeah, behind and sabotage you. Exactly. <laughs> and Andrea, so what how have you been spending your week uh, in Mallorca? It's, it's been good. I've been doing um, self taping for some general auditions and other and other projects, and um, it's been fun and creative and trying to find my way around. You know, finding the best spots to do it. And I'm um, having a difficult time getting some equipment here that I'm that I'm trying to order. So I'm having to be extremely inventive, and that's good. Um, I'm having some fun with that. That's great. <laughs> do you think so? Yeah, I do. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I, there's been a lot. I've been hearing a lot of people doing um, a sort of 21 day self tape challenge. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that's in the UK. I don't know if you've heard about it, but um, yes. Um, by casting directors and you know they've people are literally doing one a day um so yeah it's certainly certainly a, a, a real um opportunity to get those muscles working myself it's kind of taken a while but i'm i've, I've been a, doing a lot of work actually this week it's sort of caught up and uh, you know i've been asked to put together a, an online program um for a, a, a drama school in in finland um mm. So to work alongside a, a script writer who's got a, a, um, a commission for a feature film. Um, and although she's a writer and will hopefully direct this, um, she wants to go through the script as if she's going to perform it each part. Mm -hmm. So she really wants to break it down and me coach her in terms of breaking down the, the, um, the, the elements of the script. So she, as a director can acquire a bunch of tools so she feels more comfortable when she comes to direct the actors because there are a couple of named actors actually british named actors attached to it and this is her first time feature so um i've been pretty busy so no time for um reflecting on the bigger picture here and getting all existential mm -hmm. i've kind of been pretty functional um mm -hmm. over the last since we last spoke but that's how you do it, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a great way to do it, which is 
you don't look at the whole mountain in front of you. You look at each little step that you're going to take. And then eventually the mountain is overcome. Quite right. I personally feel incredibly daunted by looking at a mountain and going, oh, I can't get over that mountain. But each little step, each little task that you have to do is is doable. Yeah. And so you can do that. Yeah. And, and it keeps it keeps things in check. So, you know, the more you look ahead or you look up or you look up at the mountain, the more fear and inhibitions will um, sort of drop in and, exactly. and knock you off balance, mm-hmm. which um, very nicely brings us on to our main topic. <laughs> there we go. We did it. <laughs> this episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner. And if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters, your audition and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond Actors 25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Okay, so this is something that I get extremely excited about. Um, It's not something that I learned actually at Playhouse West, but it came through teaching students here in Prague and noticing that when we're scared, when you're in a stressful situation or a high-risk situation, there are mechanisms in your brain, because your brain is there to keep you from dying, really, um, and feeling like you screwed up in an exercise or screwed up when you're acting, is triggering the same centers in your brain as, oh, I'm actually in physical danger. So there is a system where your brain gets involved and starts to control the situation so that it is manageable, so that there is less pain or potential pain that can come out of a situation that you don't really know what is happening, which can happen a lot when we talk a lot about working from moment to moment and giving up, you know, and just kind of like being free. But there's a lot of risk associated with that when you look at what people do in regular society. That it's it's really risky to be free and to let out your opinions and these kind of things, right? And so if you're not used to doing that on a day-to-day basis, then there are these control mechanisms. For example, one control mechanism might be you're going to try and think ahead what might happen if you do X, Y, or Z. You're going to try to damp down your actual response so that uh, you only let out something that you think is safe. You're going to try to move the other person or take everything that they do like a joke or something that we talked about in a previous episode that you're going to try to not take it in at all. All of these are examples of what I would call control, where you are getting in the way of what your actual response might be if you weren't controlling things. I mean, obviously those responses are actual responses, but they aren't necessarily free. They're not the full story. No. They're not the full story. They are an acceptable story that works quite well when you're out in the quote-unquote real world or in a society where there are consequences to your actions, but they are not so free, I would say. And so dealing with this type of control is a huge problem for a lot of actors. I mean, it's a huge problem for people in general, but for actors, it it becomes a, a problem in their work. And, and I came up with a strategy, which I don't think was a, 
was a thing that we talked about when I was studying, which is about how putting energy into the exercise, whatever exercise you're doing, uh, it, that energy could take many different forms, but how putting energy into an interaction can overwhelm the system of control that we have and lead to much more instinctual and gut level responses in the person who's putting the energy in. And so I just, I, and so I thought it would, it's worthwhile talking about that because it's such an interesting problem and, and, and I love this, the possible solutions. So I don't know, do you guys have something to, uh, to what, what, what were your strategies? Andrea, what was your strategy for, for dealing with this kind of thing when, when you had a student that was controlling themselves in an exercise or, or when you, when you feel control, controlling yourself, cause it, it, it's in all of us. It's in all of us. Well, I love what you have to say. I do have a question for you though, before I, before I reply, if you don't mind, you've just said no. so interesting, which is that essentially you've discovered that putting energy into it is a way to squash that, that controlling mechanism. So can you be, can you clarify a little bit and give some examples of what you mean by putting energy into it? Yeah. So at its core, the type of energy that is the most, the most effective and the most free is to care about what the other person is, uh, is what they are doing to take them as the, the most important thing in the world. I think that kind of energy to give a shit about the other person brings energy to it. But it's almost impossible for someone who's starting out as an actor, you can't say, oh, care about this other person, love them. That's almost impossible. So any kind of energy, and that, uh, by that I mean, I could, I could just say, get louder, be louder every time, right? So if you're, as we're, we're working in a Meisner uh, setting, a Meisner technique setting, so that if they're doing a repetition exercise, then if each repetition gets louder, at a certain point, it will get so big that the center in their brain, which says, hey, this is kind of ridiculous. I'm not, uh, not going to commit to this because I don't want to look like a fool or because I might do it wrong. It just kind of breaks it, or it just kind of dissolves. And so you, there's, a, there's an incredible release of that kind of tension that they felt with um, as they were clamping down on, on the need to, to keep everything under wraps. And that can happen with just saying getting louder. You could say, just move towards the other person each time. But that's what I mean by energy. Mm. I don't know if that answered the question, but that's, that's what I mean. No, I think it's really insightful. I mean, I think there are a number of ways to, to consider that concept. So, you know, if what you're really talking about is, is a kind of displacing of that fear-based energy of control and worry and anxiety, right? I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be bad. I don't want to be a bad mm -hmm. actor. Um, and moving, moving it to the side or, or softening that voice with something more joyful and interesting and honest and urgent and truthful. And so I think to some degree that that has really helped depending on the methodology you're working with or the types of um, exercises that you're doing in your classroom, you know, that's one of the reasons that in the Meisner work that the independent activity is so critical because the independent activity is something that one actor is undertaking on stage, assuming he's privately at home and eventually the acting partner will come to the door and there will be a, you know, a, a conflict of sorts in the sense that somebody's coming for something and something else is happening un privately that has to be attended to. And so this independent activity that's being undertaken, as you know, has to have, you know, three essential qualities. It has to be incredibly difficult to accomplish. It has to have a sense of urgency and ultimately it has to have meaning to you. And so when you talk about, you know, encouraging actors to find that love and to find that meaning in their acting partners, it, we can work our way there in the Meisner work with 
helping students create very compelling independent activities that they're undertaking. And when they really, when they really figure that out, um, there's such a degree of, even though they're, they're highly tuned, they're doing something difficult, they're, they're fully engaged in it. In a way, there's no room in the brain for the fear and the conversation and the worry about, oh, what does my classmate think of me? What does my teacher think of me? You are absolutely creating that private space on stage uh, with, with truthfulness and honesty and, and your own personality. And it's inventive and it's working from your instincts. And so when you get in that space and then your partner enters with you and you begin to play with improvisation, um, hopefully you're already then working from this new space of true, you know, positive creative energy. And so to me, that's one of the brilliant aspects of the Meisner work in particular is, is the creation of this independent activity, because I think it does very much take care of what you're talking about. Oh, interesting. Um, I also well remember one of my own exercises that I did in my early years uh, of the Meisner work when my acting partner got me so, so upset that I, I went to kick him. No, he, he got out of the way. <laughs> I, was, I was far enough that I didn't, I didn't reach his butt, but I did go to kick him in the, in the moment. And, um, Afterwards, the teacher said that was probably the best exercise you've ever done. And I was sort of mortified, you know, like, oh, my God, but I went to go kick my partner. How can this be good? But mm -hmm. what I realized was it was a moment of complete loss of the controlling mind, right, of is this allowed? Is this against the rules? What am I supposed to do next? Will my teacher approve of this? Right. Um Nothing yeah. else in that moment existed except for my raw point of view and feeling and impulse that was created by my acting partner. And so that lesson, luckily, the way we discussed it afterwards, um, it didn't take me long to put it all together and to realize that this question of control was something that I was going to be facing as an actor, you know? This desire yeah, to. I think play. everybody faces that. I think we do. Just some of us, maybe more than others. And so I, I knew, I knew it was something that I was going to, I was going to have to take on. And so I really hmm. have a great deal of empathy when I see my students carrying that in to, to our space. And uh, so I, I find that much of the Meisner work will eventually get there. I also think that for any performer, this seems so basic, but it really, it really is a piece of the puzzle. When you see there's so many exercises, physical exercises, emotional exercises that actors engage. And one of the things to me that they all have in common is bringing greater breath to the moment. So whether you're backstage preparing or in your trailer or about to go on, or you're in this scene and and you feel something rising up, even just to breathe more deeply into that feeling and breathe energy into your acting partner, into the space between you, into in, almost as if you can see the space between you as, as something that needs to be uncovered, that there's an answer in there and you are intent mm. to find it and, and you are going to give it your own breath. Something happens in that moment and the breath can never be underestimated. So how you go about it, whether you have private practices and other disciplines that help you access breath and, and increase your, your the breath quality. I think it's a very important piece of what you're, what you're discussing. I mean, how many times have you discovered that you're considering something and literally your shoulders are hunched up to your ears and your brain is stuck? Your brain is tight. And you're holding your breath. Right? You're holding your breath. And there's no mm. other ideas that come to mind because you're just, you're in a stop position, really. And to get the shoulders down and back, it requires really a deep, deep breath from the lungs. And then suddenly the mind makes space. And so I think it's mm. not to be underestimated in some way to find a practice or even give yourself reminders in the moment. Um, to, to take, to take advantage of the power of the breath.
That's um, great. So those are those are the first two ideas that come to mind. But I think that um, the question of control has dogged many many performers. And and you know that the fact is that we have a very technical aspect to our work, right? Like here, I've just been doing um, the self tapes. And there is mm-hmm. a degree of control that I have to take over this, right? At some level, to, right? You have to have it. I have to have it. I have to, I have to do my diligence about the scene. I have to understand it. I have to look at it creatively, but also intelligently. I have to study what the program is and what the tempo is, how the characters speak. I have to know the main characters that I'd be interacting with. Um, I have to set my lighting. I have to pay attention to my backdrop. I have to put some makeup on so I don't look like I just woke up. Like I have to control much of the circumstance around my sitting down in front of the camera for two minutes and doing a scene. Mm-hmm. And I also have to have some control over, you know, what I would like to see happen, some notes I'd like to hit or some revelations I'd like to have in the scene or some culture mm-hmm. I'd like to bring to it. Like this takes a very, you know, it's, it's bringing the brain into it. And then our challenge is always, how do I, how do I set myself in that motion and, and make those choices for myself? And then when it comes down to it, really allow myself to be sort of set free and loose in it. And, um, and to me, that's, that's a, to a great degree, a question of practice and honing mm-hmm. that skill of allowing yourself the freedom to explore something that's. That, that, those are words that I always keep with myself. So if I'm, mm. if I'm working on, on, for example, the audition that just was working on this afternoon, I didn't get frustrated, um, or short tempered with myself. If I, if I needed to start a new take because there was a sound outside or the dog barked or I dropped a line and I felt it was important to go back and start again, I gave it a laugh. I took a breath. I mean, I always, had some version in my brain of you've got this, you know exactly how you feel about everything in the scene. You've got it. So let it just be uniquely yours. Have fun. Here we go. Three, two, one, boom. Like not a lot of, not a lot of angst around it just because I had done the homework and then, and then it's always bringing it full circle to that, that, that point of saying, Okay, now let's play. Now let's just play. And I think this, it's until you get to that moment of closing the circle, it will feel arduous and it will feel like you're in struggle. No matter how much time and energy you've put into it, you've always got to close that circle to me and, and mm-hmm. say, it's time to play now and it's time to let go. Cool. Gary, yeah. come on in. Yeah, um, yeah I'm very listening intently. It's... Um, it's it's one word, control, but it's a big, it's a big thing. It's big. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't want to deal with the small topics here. Yeah. We want to get into the, to yeah. the big stuff. Who didn't, who'd have thought that one word would have, you know, um, inspired so much. But one thing I have to dive in and say, and kind of, I've been maybe holding back over the last few episodes is I think it might be safe in saying, now you correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I think you pair a more given over, whole wholesale and wholeheartedly to the Meisner technique and more faithful to it at least um whereas I certainly have deep roots uh in the Meisner technique but I'm no by no means exclusive to it but I don't think you're and I know for a fact that you're not dogmatic to it either that's a different thing I think you have a great understanding of it it's just that people who do a different technique should be exterminated (laughs) that's all I don't I mean it's not dogma it's just the truth (laughs) right so that contract I signed I think you need now in blood but but yeah in blood yeah yeah while repeating yeah. <laughs> um, I am signing, you are signing a contract. Yeah. I am signing a contract. And I think the reason why I'm sort of bringing this up is, is for, for, for this very reason, talking about strategies and tips and examples. And, and also t- to say that I don't think there's much better in terms of a systematic approach at b- the beginning of one's acting training than the exercises that the Meisner technique utilizes right? And you mentioned them here, the repetition exercise, which then develops into improvisation and 
coming to the door and activities and all the rest of it, which I think is probably the best place to start with acting. But it's interesting because there's two things here. You talked about energy, uh, Brian, and you talked about um, latterly sort of physical, the breath, but also the physical uh, a physical way in to get over um, control. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I often, what I often do, and, you know, I don't attribute this to any technique. It's something that's kind of evolved and, and just seems like common sense. And it's it's similar to what I think you described, Brian, is that, I mean, if someone is quiet on the stage, I mean, the first rule of being on the stage before you even get to anything is be heard, you know? Yeah. So, so if someone is quiet, I'm just going to get them to do the opposite. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes them feel. And most of the time when I push someone, and I use exaggeration a lot in my work, to get actors to – because often actors are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside. Oh, so true. Well said. You're right. And there is a, a lack of understanding or experience or an experiential barometer inside that um, allows them to measure the degree of – how big they are being or expressive they are being with what's mm-hmm. going on inside. And that takes trial and error. And what I often do, and it's a very crass thing in a way, but simplistic but but effective, is is to is to get people to crunch through any fear, whether it's emotional or physical, uh, which, you know, control is fear-based and it creates tension. And sometimes you can gently talk and guide your way through it, which can work. Uh, or you sometimes have to just crunch through it and get in with jackboots. And depending on the situation, you have to be sensitive, obviously, to the situation. But sometimes the opposite is necessary. And where maybe something where there is a problem emotionally, let's say with sadness and vulnerability and opening up or anger even, I, I often get the actor to express it physically first. And that just kind of comes back to the old, you know, inside out, outside in. You, you smash your fist on a table and maybe you'll get angry from that. I'm not saying that is necessarily a consistent way of working on the job, but it may help a student uh, or an, act, uh, an actor when they are facing um, an inhibition. And a lot of times students will say, but I don't feel like doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll use the excuse. Well, isn't this supposed to be doing something natural? And, and I don't feel like getting louder. I don't feel like expressing myself physically. And, and I think that's exactly the point that you're going for. Right. Of course, you don't feel like it because you're used to not expressing yourself that way. But that might be the thing that opens you up. Right. You're absolutely right. And that is a classic thing. And the hang up comes from an actor going, I must feel it before I do it. Now, obviously, you know, there is an imp- there is a feeling which leads to an impulse, which leads to action, which creates behavior. But there is a feeling. But if there, if the actor is not feeling it and there is something that seems to be happening outside of them that should be provoking a feeling and they're not feeling it, then there, there's a problem. Then there's a yeah. real problem. Of- you got to get in there. <laughs> you got to get in there. And, and sometimes you've got to, what, what Mamet calls is jump into the great unknown and you've got mm-hmm. to, to jump. And this issue, which you've just brought up, Brian, is a, a classic is I don't feel it. Uh, and, and also there's a fear of being too, of being untruthful, which is a, a, an admirable fear, but it inhibits people. And, and, you know, Al Pacino, he, he has admitted that he's aware, he's often over the top and he's aware of it. The thing is he's aware of it. And he's described it as a necessary part of his process of pushing the envelope and taking risks Mm -hmm. so that he may well be over the top two times out of three, but that third time is on the money in its Mm -hmm. terms of its fullness of expression. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you've got to take risks. And this is a, you know, this is a well-seasoned actor. You've got to take risks in order to stretch the depth of a moment and the range of perhaps a characterization and behavior. But when we're talking to someone maybe about someone who is not necessarily as experienced as that in the early days is there needs to be a kind of shaking, shaking up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the physical route in is very helpful because we are a psychophysical instrument and there are reverberations and there is muscle memory. And what I often do is let's say someone um, has a problem with, with anger is I, I get them to silently scream and to put their body into it, really put their body into it. And I found that if they keep doing it and not using their voice, because that could often 
I've tried it, but I, I soon junked it because you're, you're straining and people sort of... It hurts your voice after a while. If you're just screaming at someone. Exactly. and it's and <laughs> So if you take that away, then you have to put your body into it. And there's an energetic thing behind that too, mm. which is kind of touched upon. And it's it's quite amazing how, you know, people have come to tears through silent screaming, but trying to scream through their bodies. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that can be a tool or technique to take to the workplace or something that might get you to a particular place you need to get to. There are more uh, craft-driven and enjoyable and creative ways of doing that. But to start with, there needs to be a bit of, um, you know, the sort of jump leads Mm -hmm. within a safe environment. And that's where the physical, because I've been in classes way back where, you know, it's like, okay, let's open your brain and let's put you on the psychiatrist couch, which there's an element of that needs to get into because we are artists. But it's doable. It's do if it's physical, it's doable. Exactly. If it's if it's if it's mental, if it's a mental process, that's that's where the brain wants to be, and the brain is the thing that's keeping everyone in control. It wants to be in control, and so how many times have you gotten into that kind of discussion with a student where you go, "Where did the last ten minutes of class go? We've been discussing this for ten minutes. Just do it. Yeah. Just just do it." Just do it. I don't care how you feel. I don't care what, what, I don't care. Just do it. Absolutely. And you'll see what happens because the minute you start to get into that intellectual discussion, and I know, and I'm, I know you weren't saying intellectual discussion, but you were saying you're kind of coaxing it in a mental or an intellectually stimulated way instead of an an action-based way. You are playing the brain's game. Right. Absolutely. Which is not helpful. No. And by very definition, if you use your body. <laughs> no, it's right? not. You're not in your. Yeah, body. it's not mental. It's not mm. mental. And, and it's a, it's a very, it's a, it's a very useful way of dealing with that. But also it can awaken. So this feeling that the actor is saying that they don't feel, if it happens a few times and you just stick with it and you, you put, you give yourself over to it 100%, then then it actually starts to awaken something in the actor. Mm-hmm. And, and then this little, you know, virgin spring, if you like, starts to, starts to pop out. And, and from there, you can then use all the other tools, um, imagine, imagination and, and, and personal sort of associations and, and, and to, to, to then nourish that. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm in wholehearted agreement. I think, you know, I also work with um, a practitioner, Mike Alfreds, who's a very British theatre director, uh, who then went on to the States. And his roots are back in sort of Stanislavski and, and then maybe into method a bit, but he's kind of devised his own thing. And anyway, he his mantra is, I want, I do, I feel. Mm-hmm. And that is very much action-based. I'm not saying that that is the be-all and end-all of all acting and solves everything, but in terms of what we're talking about, do it and you have a good chance of feeling it. Yeah. I love what you were talking about in terms of how this kind of behavior, and especially when you're exploring it in a safe space, like a class or a rehearsal that is uh, open, where where it's not so result-oriented. Although even in a rehearsal, there it's a result-oriented. But the exploration of it, it's about unlearning or let's say learning that you are allowed to have these kind of responses. You're allowed to have this big of a response because in society, in everyday society, nobody wants that kind of responsiveness. You're an in, you're insane if you respond hugely. Right. Right. And so we've learned, I think, through society, most of us have, to keep our responses measured, to keep it sane, to keep it rational, to not go off the off the beaten track to not fly off in a rage when, when your salad comes and it's got something on it that it shouldn't have. Right. When we go back to restaurants, but what you are doing by encouraging these really much bigger than what you would feel comfortable expressing in real life responses, you're learning how you can have a, a real strong response to something and survive it and that it is acceptable. And then when you get that inside of yourself and you get that as a, this is the way I work, I have big responses to things and I can express myself. There's certain students who grew up, a lot of times it falls within gender roles, but people who are told you are not allowed to have a response. So I get a lot of 
female students who you go, you're, you deserve to have a response. You don't have to take care of other people, right? You don't have to hold yourself back because it might upset someone. And when you start to do all of these things that we're talking about and express yourself fully and not apologize for it, then that becomes the pathway of how you work. And then when you go out into a job where you might need to have this technical control that you were talking about, Andrea, Mm -hmm. you can have the technical control. You have to hit your mark. You have to look in a certain place at a certain time because that's when the focus puller is going to be expecting the look, right? You need to, you need to do certain technical things. And you've got to serve the scene. It really requires, doesn't it though, that there has to be a level of permission within yourself and hopefully in your environment. And then, and that's a kind of a blessing in a way that you might bestow on yourself. And then truthfulness of the moment has to be valued and how you go about discussing Mm -hmm. that Um, how you go about exploring that. It it may be unique to the classroom or the setting of the film set, but if truthfulness is your goal and you are the the truthful behavior of the moment based on how you really feel about something, when, when that not how you're supposed to feel, how you're supposed to feel, that's right. Then, then you are in the, how can you be in the wrong direction? Right. But Exactly. If you if you get most women who know exactly what you've been speaking about, Brian, in a space, and you give them permission to talk openly, it, I mean, <laughs> it'll go on and on and on and on, because um, because there's so much that doesn't get said because of how we need to function out there in society. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's just about no. bringing it out, allowing it to be part of your your expression. I mean, I think that that's part of recognizing, hey, I'm, I'm keeping control out of, over this. And, and how do you feel about, about having to play that role mm-hmm. your whole life? You know, that could be very meaningful, a meaningful uh, experience for people to say, is it fair that you have to shut the fuck up? Mm. Is it fair that you can't express yourself? I don't think so. If anybody has, you know, um, needs a real world example of that now without getting too political, but during the Kavanaugh hearings in the United States, um, there were so many women primarily, but women and men who were deeply disturbed by the testimony that they were hearing. And Mm -hmm. you could walk around and see it on people's faces. You knew exactly what was going on. They'd been so unmoored by what they were hearing. Some of them said they, many people said they felt they were triggered all over again by some trauma or experience that they'd had, or this idea of not being heard, respected, being able to speak up, not being believed. Uh, I mean, this was so resonant for so many people really about the sense that society controls how we get to be right? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it hits so many people so deeply. And we see that individually when we're working with our, with our actors, but can you, can you recall or imagine what that was like on a societal level, you know, with millions of people going through that at the same time and really asking themselves questions about, you know, how free they felt to, be themselves, to say their truths, to tell their own stories, to be heard and respected and believed. It was, it was a profound uh, time. And it's a profound experience for an actor to face these questions. The amount of times I've heard, you know, an actor say, um, oh, I'm, I've, I've forever been told I'm too much. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, welcome home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have license to be too much, you know? <laughs> yeah. but still given license, there is a problem. I mean, it's interesting because there's, there's, there's two things I, I think we're looking at here, or at least some two things I'd like to sort of, I don't know, boil it down to is there's the actor's instrument, which is inhibited. And mm-hmm. it's to do with, as you've said, all forms of socialization, the emotions of anger, sadness, even happiness. People sometimes, you know, are, are finding it difficult to be happy, you know, in people. And therefore, you know, that's controlling and in acting, all this control comes from 
all the cautionary tales in life that have taught us that if we open up and allow ourselves to be vulnerable, the you know we'll be hurt, or mm-hmm. if we do express our true voice, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune that life has provided will make it painful, and we'll get into conflict, and we'll fight, and we'll lose people, and push people, and we'll die, yeah. and we'll die. And we'll end up in prison and all the rest of it. And, and of course, that's not good for your acting or any art, in fact. And, you know, there's... Or life. Or life. Well, I think you can... Yeah, get- there's parts of it that are good for life. But, okay, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, you know, it can serve us in life to have control. In fact, it's good to be aware of right. when you are in control and when you're not. It's good to be, have it as a choice, I think. Right. right, absolutely. But also in your acting, I mean, it, it can't serve us at all as an artist because we are reflecting back. It can serve us in life, although a caveat to that is it really can't if you, <laughs> if you see it in a certain way. But if you don't see it in that way, which is a fuller experience of life, um, then then it, it, it does serve you because you can you know go, you know what, I just want the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well then you may well get a certain uh, experience of life, but not really. Um, mm-hmm. So there's the actor's instrument that is inhibited, but then there's the actor's fear of being over the top mm-hmm. and and not being good and staying safe on every level, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, these two things are linked. It's obviously linked to one's instrument and one's socialization, but also I find where there's a degree of openness that happens, actors are still resistant to this idea of being fully expressive. You know, when an actor tells me they're trying to be natural, they are often lifeless. I get that a lot. I don't know if you get I'm just trying to be natural. I'm going, well, let me tell you something. The difference between natural and real in acting is the difference between being dead and alive. Hmm. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is acting is a heightened place. Even mm-hmm. if you are talking, you know, having a sandwich on a park bench, I often try and get actors it's it's a battle particularly nowadays i think more so and i'm i'm not saying it's i'm concentrating on theater acting or film acting it's it's for me it's all the same it just the meat different mediums require different distribution in space that's all you know it's like gene hackman who i was watching a lot of films of the other week he says honesty for me isn't enough he says because that becomes boring he says if you can convince people that what you're doing is real but also bigger than life that's exciting mm-hmm now, not every every moment in acting has to be has to be that, and it's you can't act with civilian energy. You can't be casual. You mm-hmm. can't be casual, right? And I think the the argument for that beyond what you've already said, Gary, it's look at any television show, look at any Marvel movie. You know, if New York is going to be destroyed if you don't do what you're supposed to do. Or if the earth is going to blow up, yeah, you can't be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's cool. You know, like maybe for comic effect, but generally yeah. <laughs> you, you right. got to you gotta really commit to whatever you're doing. Yeah. You got to do it 150%. If you're playing a slacker who's, you know, smoking dope, then maybe that would be the response. You're right. But, but also if you're doing that, then you have to go 150% in that direction. That direction. If a waitress that comes to take someone's order in a particular scene is too good, you go, that's going to be an actual character, mm-hmm. right? It's because the actor is not just doing, I'm being a waitress taking an order. There's something else going on. They're committing extra to whatever that story is. Yeah, they're telling the story of the of the waitress that is a part of a bigger story. Right. There's, a, there's an absolute reason for that story needed to be told. So there's a definition that re, that is required. There's uh, extra yeah. there. An extra commitment. But I, I, I get this, this whole, this fear of being over the top. And I get it. No one wants to be fake. But... This fear of being fake actually inhibits people to be smaller than they need to be, or at least more boring, or at least more uninteresting in the way that you're talking about. Do you just shout boring at them when they do that? Uh, Boring! Boring! Get him off! Boring, boring, boring. I was coaching myself taping, and 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 I was giving some, you know, slight directions, and I finally said, you're almost there. Now stop acting. And the next take was was right on. It was mm. more lively. It was more human. It was a stronger point of view. It was more interesting. It was right on. Yeah, it was connected. Everything. I mean, that's all. I, did. I just, just stop acting now. You've got it. Yeah, there we were. 
It's funny. It's funny. It's, it's that's that's not true. But you have to almost push them to act first. Yes. Uh, or at least you know explore. You know, and I often have to have to say to them, "This is not how we're going to perform it." But I want you to exaggerate, yeah. just so you get an understanding of what this intention is, because yeah. life casualizes you, as you say, Brian, quite mm. rightly. Yeah, thumbs you down, and therefore you lack definition and clarity and intent and commitment, and you know. Um, that, like any art, needs there needs to be that 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 clarity and and life, which then you can control within the form and all the technicalities that you. But that life has still got to be within that vibrant. It also goes back just as a way to put a button on it. It, it goes back to having strong points of view. Always, mm-hmm. you know, if you have a strong point of view. It's going to be a lot easier for you to not be casual. It's going to be a lot easier for you to express that point of view. But, you know, these kind of things are, are linked, right? Because it's if you're in control, it's very easy to damp down your point of view because you know if you have a point of view, you will lose control. Exactly. You will be out of control with it. Mm-hmm. So That's why often, you know, I, 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 if you're talking about strategies and other tips, something just come to me. If, if I often get act- actors who are controlling themselves to the extent that they don't even ask questions and the, the, in the, the script or the line is an actual question, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, do you love me? You know, I mean, you ma- they make it into a statement, Sorry. you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, or even this is, again, this is actually point of view. It's the same bloody thing. It's like, I really don't like those shoes you're wearing, right? If you really commit to that statement and make it a statement and have a point of view, then you know what? You're going to get into trouble because you're going to get an answer back. But that's the point. Yeah, yeah exactly. If, if you don't, and that's the kind of energy thing you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and all of that. So it's all very much this matrix of possibilities that are linked within all the elements of acting because mm-hmm. one has a knock on the other. But but yeah, this casual, I can't, it's a real thing that I, I, I and it sounds like you both do too, mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis is fight this casualness yes um um on the stage or even on the screen it's 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 no it's like we you we we will only be engaged to the degree you are engaged with each other on the stage so trade that energy and in a way emotion is energy it is Mm -hmm. so trade that that's right Mm -hmm. that's right great well that seems to have dealt with the issue of control uh and how it affects actors so finally, we like to, um, this is our version of the dolphin story at the end of the uh, TV news. It's just a, a quick recap of what perhaps has wowed us this week, whether it's a piece of art or a performance or a piece of acting or a book. Yes. Um, the 90th birthday party for Stephen Sondheim, who's just, give me a moment while I bow down to Stephen Sondheim. Uh, is just beautiful. I've just begun watching it. It um, it was the other evening, and some tremendous performances that are delivered there of his music. You know, which is just it's storytelling. It's really brilliant storytelling. So that's that's definitely worth a look. And then I found somewhere on the internet this beautiful internet a performance put together by the Opera of Paris, and it is. Just this stunning uh, sequence uh, of dances from, I don't know, maybe 20, 25, 30 dancers. And it's just absolutely breathtaking. And uh, I highly recommend it. Maybe Google Google search Opera of Paris Ballet and, uh, and see if you can find it. Definitely worth a look. Great. And, and I love it that you're the source of our music, go-to music. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. It's keeping yeah. me going, man. It's keeping me going in the age of corona. <laughs> Brian, I'm going to cede my time. I'll I'll go with Stephen Sondheim, but I I was out in the country over the weekend uh, with no internet and I haven't been watching very much stuff. So I'm going to cede. Yeah, no problem. Um, um, Myself, well, actually, I've been watching a lot recently and um but less so this week and uh, i've been trying to read more force myself to read more and um i'm a huge harold pinter fan and uh although his plays are fantastic i've been reading his poems Mm. and they are as elliptical as his plays and very very um dense 
and uh, so often just six lines. And um, so I would recommend if you are a Pinter fan or not, uh, and something that he's maybe not so commonly known for, uh, and also his essays. He, great, he writes some great political essays. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, I would recommend looking at um, Pinter's poems, selected poems and, and essays. Wonderful. So we're, you know, just starting out as a, as a podcast entity. We'd love it if you could like us and rate us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, we are at Vagabond Actors, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. We also have a Facebook page, Vagabond Actors, where you can uh, join us. And we love to hear comments or suggestions of topics that maybe it's something that has come up in your work or your class or a thought that you might have or a question you might have about the acting process. Um, and just let us know what you're thinking about. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us as individuals, uh, my name is uh, Brian Casp with an I and an E at the end. You can fi find me on Twitter and Instagram. Andrea, where can people get a hold of you? I am on Instagram at AndreaHelene3 and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And Gary? Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and all my handles will be Gary Condes. Uh, or my website is a, is a good place to, to go and, um, and email me from, and that, that is garycondes.com. Absolutely wonderful. I am uh, looking forward to our next discussion, which will be next week. And, uh, and I can't wait to talk to you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone for lending us your ears. Yeah. I hope it's been insightful and we look forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch with any suggestions. And tell your friends, if you have actor friends that you'd like to uh, share this with, let, let people know. Great. Good night, everybody. Good night. Take care. Good night. Take care.